to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. How you doing? It's been a hot minute since we got a chance to tape. It's a hot minute right now because I'm in the laundry room and it's summer, which is great. And it's not smoky, which is great, but it's very warm up here. Uh, I'm back from D.C. again. Again. I had a good time. It was fine. I don't want to talk about work. I bet you don't. But I do love our show so much. The, The wilder things get... In the rest of my life, the mm-hmm. more I appreciate having this creative outlet and the connection yeah. to the, the, the people who are involved with it. No. Anyway, how are you doing? Was this just opening banter or were we going someplace? This, I don't, we weren't going anywhere. I was just like, hey, what's up? Hot minute. Opening banter. Hmm. We've got to start coming up with like a topic to lead in or, or just get to it. I don't well, know. You don't like it when I do callbacks and when I lead in because then you can't edit out stuff if you don't want to. So I try to keep the first part just like loosey-goosey, whatever I'm feeling. Uh, so we're just warming up. Just, Have you seen any UFOs lately? Every time I look in the mirror. An unidentified fine object. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was going to go with that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, no, we did. Actually, Jason and I were driving across the giant bridge. I don't know what it's called, but it's on I-90. And it's as you're leading in toward part of Seattle. Anyway, it, it, it was like a fucking sunfish. You know, you're looking at this giant, big, flat thing in the air. And I'm going, is that one of those helicopters? Like the, the military helicopters with the two separate propellers? Or is it a jet I'm seeing at a weird angle? What the fuck is it? And all of a sudden it turned. And like I said, like a sunfish, it just fucking disappeared. So what? I'm going, what? Huh, is it, what? It magic. No, it was just a little tiny airplane pulling a banner. And I couldn't uh, see the airplane. I was seeing the banner. Okay. Yep. And yeah. Yep. Things blend into the sky weirdly sometimes. Yep. Less huh. awesome. I didn't actually think you had an answer for that. I was mm. just throwing stuff out but you know we were so ready it was the thing i meant to tell you about we were so ready are we ready to thank our patrons our new are ready we are so first of all thank you to all our ongoing patrons and to past patrons for your support means a lot and we would like to thank by name our new patrons nina and John. So thank you, Nina and John. Thank and you. everybody who has supported us through this and other ways up to and including just listening to us. Mm. It means a lot. I Let's see. I've already talked about taking the patron money to aunties. I am yes. reconfiguring a space downstairs so I don't have to swelter in the laundry room. Right. And so far, I'm just doing it out of pocket. But it's good to know that, like, should I need to get more sound foam or something, it's there. We can make it work. We can make it work. We also have a lovely woman who contacted us who does transcription of audios. Mm. She volunteers this time for several worthy organizations. And not to toot my own horn, but we're one of the worthy organizations she's decided to volunteer her time for. So Evidently. Yes. Which, if you've never tried to transcribe audio, oh it's my God. hard to express how brutally miserable it is. Oh, my God. Yes. Especially two people cross-talking and, uh, uh. It, but she did a beautiful job and I'm looking forward to getting to offer transcripts on, on some episodes soon, yes. which is very nice. If, if you're listening and you're not her, but you're like, oh, I would also do that or even just for a chunk, hit us up on Ouija Broads at, is it the Ouija Broads or Ouija Broads at gmail.com? I never know. I think it's the I'm, Ouija Broads. Yeah. 
Let me double check here. I yeah. think it is. The Ouija Broads the at gmail.com. And yeah. maybe we can kind of coordinate efforts here. Because this is a thing that is a big jump in terms of time and yeah. therefore expense unless yeah. people are willing to do it. But it would it would be very cool yeah. to get to include that because yeah. I, there's, I really like that accessibility. I mean... Oh, no, I just wanted to say, Catherine, thank you so much. We honestly, genuinely truly appreciate it and Mm -hmm. yeah that step toward accessibility i think is a really important one i mean fuck dude we gotta walk the talk talk the walk we gotta do the things that we say are important to us and this (laughs) is yes but also on on a a slightly thicker shoestring thanks to patrons yes exactly podcasts are our shoestring and in fact when i think about it like i remember when we said we were gonna do the show I was like, I'll put $100 into equipment, if you will. Yeah. And none of that equipment is what I use now. No. I don't know about you. No. (laughs) No. We ended up, someone was nice and gave us different microphones. Yeah. My mom got me this this thing that's going around the microphone right now. Oh, yeah, the little pop shield. Yeah. Not the pop shield, but like the egg foam. Oh, Dealy. yep. Jason bought me that as a birthday gift or something. The the sound nice. shield. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Also, thank you to Not Another X-Files podcast because you sent me such a sweet magnet. And I totally put it right on the fridge. Oh. And it's awesome. And I'll let Devin see it next time she comes over. But oh. I'll probably keep it because I have a lot of kindergartner art that oh needs to get attached. Oh, my God. It needs it's to. It's a deluge. Absolutely. <laughs> While we're thanking people, I want to make sure that I... Just in general, I can't remember everyone's names, but holy fuck, this has been the week of... Okay, first of all, I was going to try to do this episode without dropping the F-bomb, and I've dropped it three times, and we're only in the banter part. Why were you going to do that? Just, like, for fun? Like, to see if you could write a novel without using the letter E? Exactly. To see if I could. Like, holding in a sneeze, you know? I kind of get off being withholding, I guess. I... No, I. No. Are you trying to top from the bottom yourself? I, That's yeah. like a new level. You know, Liz, I'm very frustrated in a lot of arenas in my life, and if this is the place that I get <laughs> control and release, it is the place I get control and release. What I wanted to say was, this has been the week of. <laughs> Stop laughing so I can do a clean take. This has been the week of. Email upon email and message upon message from all kinds of listeners saying, have you read this? Have you seen that? I want to share this with you. You guys mentioned this and that made me go down a Wikipedia wormhole and I wanted to show you this cool thing that I found. And that just um, warms my little black heart. Aww. It makes me yes. incredibly happy. And actually, it's because of that online community, not to force you into using that information, but it's because, no, of, that's cool. it's because of the online community that I came across the story I'm going to tell you today. Hmm. Uh, Erica D. on Spokane History Buffs posted a link to photos and then the Wikipedia article for the story that I'm going to tell you. And I, mm. Erica's commented on our stuff before, so I just thought, oh, yeah, dude, look at our buddies. Look at them bring me little treasures. Erica is rad. Spokane History Buffs is rad. Yeah. Like, Those people know their group. shit. You can send they them do. an old black and white photo of some weird-ass train tracks on, uh, you know, a blurry street, and people are like, oh, yeah, that's at the corner of Post and Second. 
yep, this is what it is, and this is what happened yeah. there, and this is the guy who took the picture and his social security number. I, yeah. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Based on those tire treads, I can tell you that this was from a car made in 1935, and I'd imagine there was one woman in the passenger seat, a man was driving, and they probably had a golden retriever at some point in the car. You can tell that the yeah. shocks have seen a lot. You can see it just, you know, in this picture. And I'm especially impressed when people post a picture that's of, like, an old white dude with major facial hair. And then immediately somebody's like, oh, this is, you know, general whatever, whatever. I'm like, how? How? I know I'm pretty face blind as it is, but how? They all look the same. If you've seen one daguerreotype of a white man in profile, you've seen them all. No wonder Buck could get away with it. They're like, yeah, it sounds legit. We all look the same. Yeah, exactly. It's just mustache or no mustache. (laughs) I think it's probably, too, because everybody had to hold so still for pictures. Like, nobody's really projecting an emotion or anything. No. Anyway. No. Anyway, tell me the story. So I must have seen a hint of it. I think I know what you're going to do, and I'm excited. I'm so glad you're excited. Well, I sent you a text saying, hey, was this a story you're going to tell me? No? Good. Don't tell me that story. It's mine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's funny. This is making my life easier, though, because this is one I've always said, like, ah, I should really do that. And now you're going to do it. So awesome. I'll do it. Uh, I'll, I'll set the scene. I'll bookend it here with uh, two headlines. The first is from the Seattle PI. The front page headline from May 25th, 1935 reads, Young Warehouser Boy Vanishes, Feared Kidnapped. A few days later... The Seattle Times Extra Edition front page headline, this is June 1st, 1935, reads, Return safe to home. Reporter welcomes lad with a kiss. Manhunt centers here. Nice. Liz. Okay. What I'm telling you is the story of the kidnap, ransom, return, and aftermath of a nine-year-old kid from Tacoma, Washington named George H. Warehouser. Hells yes. Hells yes. This is a comedy of errors with a happy ending. Yes. It is No children are severely harmed. Do not worry about it. In I believe it's in the Nostalgia Magazine article that covers this topic, but it could have also been the KUOW article that covers this. The author says, you know, I like telling my kids old-timey, Pacific Northwest history stories, and so many of them are grim, especially ones involving kids are grim. And here's yeah. here's one I can tell my kids. Good. Yeah, so. I, I know the feeling. My last episode <laughs> did pretty good. My episode played well in that demographic did it? about cats that were mayors. Of course. And, and mules that were Republican committee men. So that's oh, pretty yes. good. Yes. Has yeah. Lydia asked... For Cubby to be elected official of something yet? <laughs> no, I think she correctly infers that Cubby is a little too friendly for that. Like, she just I loves see. everyone. Although, last year during the election, somebody did drive da- past our house and yell, socialist dog. <laughs> so, it may have been because of the political sign that I had out, but also... Doubtful. Maybe Cubby's been up to some stuff and she's involved in politics I don't even know about. Correct. So who knows? Correct. That is what I assume it is. Yeah, I mean, it was hard enough to be a kid back in the day. Uh, you're like, okay, well, I'm nine and I have a job. Yeah. And I'm going to get yeah. married. And yeah. I just got to, like, my shoes are made of dynamite. And yes. I smoke. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> my best friend is a chicken that I <laughs> that I live I with him. in the gutter. <laughs> no, <laughs> I ate him. <laughs> oh no no no! This rags to riches is not George. George, my love, was born into a very wealthy logging family. Mm. George, that's a good way to make money out here. It's railroads, <gasps> mining, or timber. Huh? And timber, yes. So George's grandfather, I think his name was Frederick Warehouser, was the guy that came over from Germany, started the Warehouser Logging Company. It passed to George's father, John Philip Warehouser. And he's running the company in the early 1900s. This story gets going in 1935. Like I said, George is nine. Because he is the wealthy son of a timber baron he is he gets off school from tacoma's elementary school he walks the few blocks to his sister's school to meet her because what they usually do is get out of school meet at her school and wait for their chauffeur to come pick them up today george got out early and he doesn't want to wait around for his sister so instead of waiting for his sister Anne waiting for their chauffeur to pick them up at Anne's school. He decides, I'm going to walk home, and I'll take No, that's a what shortcut. got F. Lewis Clark. That's what never walk it. home. No, you should never walk home. No. He goes through this overgrown path that borders a tennis club, and when he emerges on the other side of the path, he encounters two men who are standing next to a Buick. And one of the men says, Hey, I need help with directions. Can you come over here? And when George does... Uh- Adults yeah. should never need help from children. They should never need help from children. I have a vivid memory of a woman pulling over when I was a young kid and asking me for directions. I was right outside on the sidewalk, right outside my parents' house, and thinking like, oh, I'm not supposed to be rude, but I also know I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. And thank God I was bad with directions anyway, because I was just able to say, I don't know, from the yeah, sidewalk. Yeah, Fully, fully moot. Somebody ended up in my building the other day, and literally I was trying so hard to give her directions, I just printed out a map of campus. I'm like, let me get a Sharpie, because the more I talk, the worse it's going to get. So let's just, let's skip right to this visual component. Let's skip right to this. Well, you'll find as I tell you this story that your ability to give directions might be about as good as... The kidnappers' abilities to give directions. Oh my god. They're already reminding me of those guys who accidentally kidnapped the lieutenant governor. Fuck you. I was gonna bury that lead. Liz, there's a connection. I know. (laughs) I forgot, and then I remembered in the middle of what you were saying. Anyway, there's a connection. They were they they are very reminiscent of the what'd you call them? The sleepy time bandits? I think that's what we ended up calling them, yes. <laughs> they just they had a kidnap and then they got real tired and took a nap. Fuck, I totally These... forgotten that there was a connection <laughs> when I said that. <laughs> well, you are apt at observations, my friend. This is perfect yeah. because they're not the same people, but we'll find out later what the connection is. Okay. So we've got George. He got nabbed by two men outside this car. They stuff him into the car, throw a blanket on him, and speed away. And the, What time of year is this rude. again? It's, it's May. Yeah, May 24th. May. Okay, so school's almost out. School's probably. almost out. But George's family, like, they don't fuck around. You know, when their son was not there to meet the chauffeur and his sister, they do a search, 
can't find him, you know, at home, between school, at school. So they call the police right away. He's kidnapped at, you know, what, like 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And by, by early afternoon, the police know of it. And then at 6.30 that night, a postal carrier pulls up to the warehouser's home with a special delivery letter addressed to whom it may concern. And, and the letter, I know, very uh, nonspecific for a ransom letter, but it demands $200,000 in small unmarked bills as ransom for George's return. That's fully one of those things where I'm like, is that a cliche or is this where the cliche came from? Is this where the cliche came from? I don't know. It's very much, I mean, it's the exact amount that D.B. Cooper asks for in 35 years. That's weird. $200,000 well, what's, what's in small and ringing bills. bells for me as well, right? So what you, what year did you say this was? 35? 1935. So Lindbergh baby was three years earlier. Three years earlier, yes. And that actually, wow. that whole factor comes into play. Apparently, I didn't know that, but in the 1930s, there was something very ill-named called the Snatch Racket of the oh, 1930s, dear. and it was it had become easy and profitable to snatch wealthy family members and hold them for ransom. That was like the crime of the day. The crime du jour was the That's snatch racket. That's very weird. <laughs> snatch racket. <laughs> the snatch racket. Snatch racket. It's snatch like, racket. I think the, the repetition of the same, like, eh, eh, it <clears throat> makes me think that it should be able to be combined, but no, I guess not. No, no. Snatch it. Huh. Snack it. Yes. Okay. So I kind of remember this. I'm sorry. This is going to be a pain in the ass episode for you because I already kind of researched this. Totally. And I'm smoking like a fucking dragon right now. So (laughs) I'm like, I want to go down this rabbit hole. Do it. But now in 35, it's like a federal offense. Exactly. It, and it was not really before, but now Correct. it's like that big a deal, which it cracks me up because if the victim is not released within 24 hours after being kidnapped, there is a rebuttable presumption that she or he has been transported in interstate or foreign commerce. The significance of that is one of the few things that Congress is explicitly empowered to do in the Constitution is regulate interstate commerce. So what they said in order to make this something the FBI can get involved in is we think you may have been sold across state lines. (laughs) And (laughs) it's less the part where you were kidnapped and it's more the part about selling you across state lines. That's why we're allowed to get involved in this. (laughs) We can because you're cattle. You would not believe the amount of things the Commerce Clause will cover. Oh, that's so All right, please continue. Fascinating. Well, that's uh, that's it, you know, that you pointed out. It's now a federal offense, and it, it's because of mm-hmm. Lindbergh. We have the Federal Kidnapping Act, a.k.a. the Lindbergh Law, and it's enacted to combat the snatch racket, and <laughs> it, it means that kidnapping and ransom is extortion and, like you said, commerce that's not a state-level offense. It's now federal. Mm -hmm. So the FBI are involved in this. They're notified by state police that a ransom has been demanded. And they go, okay, we're going to get together the money. And they get together $200,000 worth of money in small bills, just like they do for D.B. Cooper in, you know, 35 years or whatever. They write down the serial numbers so that these can be traced later. Yeah. 
I believe they did that with Lindbergh as well, right? Did, and I didn't go down that rabbit hole because I didn't want to get my wires crossed. And also, it's sad. That's fair. No, I, I, they they tracked the ransom money. Okay. Uh, yeah, they got the serial numbers. They did that thing. Okay. Was that the recommendation at the time? Is just pay the ransom because I feel like now there's that different school of thought of. I mean, some people I know literally have ransom insurance because it's just kind of the cost of doing business. No way. But then there's, yeah, yeah, there's some people who operate in areas and businesses that make that a a reasonable thing. Okay. And they will either, the insurance either pays the ransom or pays for a negotiator. Oh, fascinating. But I feel like I've heard it all over the place. But so so were when they said we're just going to hand over the cash, were the police like okay, or were they like yeah, I guess if you have to? Well, what it sounds like, and I didn't, I wasn't able to get this deep into it. None of the articles I researched got this deep into it. But it sounds like the Warehouser family said, "Fine, whatever. We want our kid back. We'll pay yeah. it." And they specifically asked law enforcement not to get involved until the ransom had been paid and George had been returned safely. That makes sense. Yeah. So they contacted the police before they got the note. Correct. And were like, can you please back off? Correct. That is exactly what happened. And the note had George's signature on it. So they knew at the time oh. of the letter, George was safe. And the letter was very long and it lists out many steps that the family is supposed to take. So they had kind of reason to believe that there was a plan here. George was alive at the time of writing this letter. He'd mm-hmm. only been gone for a few hours. So there, I think, was every reason to believe George was still alive. And yeah, you know, why wouldn't they return him for the money? Like he said, I mean, like, it's that whole don't negotiate with terrorists because, like, oh, we got $200,000 for you. Should we have asked for more? Mm-hmm. But in this case, you're like, okay, they snatched him. Yeah. It was a snatch racket. It was a snatch and racket. And they're, they're still under that 24-hour window, so it's yeah. technically not a federal offense yet. And the family's being responsive and cooperative and can afford it. Totally. Like, of, of all the options, this seems like one that has not gone horribly awry yet. It hasn't gone horribly awry yet. No. And once the family has the money together... They've been instructed by the kidnappers that they're supposed to take out a personal column in Seattle PI and say, we are ready, and sign it, Percy Minnie. And once they had the money together and published that and the kidnappers saw it, they would make arrangements for the swap. Because they're on it, because they called the police before they knew it was a kidnapping, because the FBI was like, okay, fine, we'll help you out. You know, we're going to get all these serial numbers together, these small bills together that we can track. Great. It's Saturday, the next day. It's like 12 hours later, and they're able to publish two classified ads in the Seattle PI. The first says, expect to be ready come Monday. Answer, Percy Minnie. And the second says, due to publicity beyond our control, please indicate another method of reaching you. Hurry, relieve anguished mother. Percy Minnie. Imagine being uninvolved in this and finding that in the classified section. Right. <laughs> it's 
one of those, like I always read the Inlanders, I saw you. I saw you. Yeah. Yes. Trying to make it about me. And this is one <laughs> where I'd just be like, huh, I don't, I don't think I have anything to do with that, do I? I know you were involved in at least one I Saw You, right? When you were a photographer. I was, and it was not about me. It was about my buddy Lindsay. And we were doing nude photos in the woods, and this fucking bike rider stopped and just kept peeking at her. And we're like, dude, can you not? Like, I know that we're naked in public property, but can you not? And he was just like, I just just can't help it. And we're like, yeah, you you totally can. And then he did an Mm -hmm. I Saw You. And she was the um, the gorgeous naked girl with the cheesy antlers, and I was yeah. the photographer that was with her. I mean, I get it, dude, but also, like, get your shit together, because among other things, that's how Artemis gets you and kills you. I if wish. If you cannot stop looking at the pretty naked lady with antlers, I really... Uh-huh. It, it reminds me of that thing on the internet where there are, like, thousands of years of tales of women luring men to their deaths mm-hmm. when all the women are doing are standing there. <laughs> right. Is that luring? Is that luring? Exactly. You were the one that sailed between Scylla and Charybdis. Yeah. They were just doing what Whirlpool's gonna do. Yeah. No. Damn. Lured them. All right. So let's Lured see. Oh, yeah. Them. So they... They put these two things in the newspaper, and so they they have the money Saturday, and they're slow playing it for strategic reasons. No, they're getting the money together. Sorry, I told that part incorrectly. The FBI says, yeah, go ahead. We'll get the money together. We'll be ready to go by Monday. So they put the ad in the newspaper the next day saying, yeah, it's coming together. It's happening. We'll be ready by Monday. But of course, just to try to keep him safe. To, yeah, to just be like immediate, hey, we're doing this. It's a go. Um, the letter said that they only had five days to respond. So mm. you can imagine them wanting to have as much communication as quickly as possible, right? That's yeah. That's what I would do. Be like, hey, what up? Got your letter. Working on it. Mm-hmm. Percy Minnie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Percy Minnie. I just Percy keep thinking about that. Percy Minnie. What a weird name to ask for and i never do find out why they use that as the it's not neither of those names are related to any of the people involved but anyway they put these two ads in the paper there's no response Mm. you'll notice neither of them said what the kidnappers said to say so on tuesday may 28th after no response over the weekend and on Monday, the family posts again. And this time they follow the instructions to the letter where it says, we are ready. Percy Minnie. Okay. Wednesday morning, May 29th, Mr. Warehouser receives a letter from the kidnappers with further instructions. And they tell him he's supposed to go to Seattle. You know, they live in Tacoma. So he's supposed to go to mm-hmm. Seattle and he's supposed to go to the Ambassador Hotel and he can't Ooh. check in until 7 p.m. And they give him a fake name to check in with. And then he'll get instructions once he does that. Very elaborate, elaborate, right? You feel like these are people who have their shit together, not people flying by the seat of their pants. No, actually, I was coming to the opposite conclusion. (laughs) I think these people are making it up as they go. And acting like they've had a plan the whole time. They're like, now go to the hotel. Right. Yeah, this Mm -hmm. hotel. Yeah, this one. Yeah. Gotta go to the ambassador. Ambassador. I want to go to the ambassador. (laughs) Doesn't that sound? (laughs) They have a great brunch. We should go there. We should go 
go there. We should go there not for work. No, not for work. We should go there and relax. Yeah, we deserve it. But anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll put With, that out in the paper. We'll put, yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know what's funny is I bet Percy Minnie came from somewhere because I don't think right? our brains are capable of being truly random. Yeah. But whatever that person had that made them think of Percy Minnie is completely lost to time. Gone forever. It's gone. Yeah. You know, it was a book they were reading, Distant Relative. Yeah. yeah. Always wanted to name their kids that. We'll never know. Yeah. I was like, it was the name of a dog and it was the last Disney film you saw. <laughs> you just smooshed you know, them together. The film mini. The fi- whatever. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. I'm going to try to ransom you. <laughs> it's going to be a straight up ransom of Red Chief. It ransom of Red Chief is right. They would. Hot damn. I would pay people to take you. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. You're telling your story. I will. Well. Mr. Warehouser does as he is told. He goes to the hotel. He checks in. He gets his room. He's got his fake name. And at 9.45 that night, another taxi cab driver delivers a letter to him. I'm feeling very suspicious about the taxi cab drivers, I'm by like, the way. come on. Why could these taxi drivers not have been tracked? Or, like, who did you get this mysterious letter from? Give, give me yeah. anything. If if you're a taxi driver and somebody comes up to you and says, "Can you please take this letter someplace?" you're like, "No, that's what a mailbox is for." That's what a for. mailbox does. Do <laughs> I look like I have a stamp on me? No. Yeah. I'm a I'm not a courier. I'm a fucking bicycle messenger. Yeah. Well, like you said, everybody's like dying of cigarettes and they ate their pet chicken, yeah. so I'm sure they'll do anything for a buck. Yeah, they're like fucking close enough. It's close 19, enough. It's the middle of the depression. I don't it's, care. Yeah, right? I'll do whatever. I'm so lucky I have gasoline for this car. <laughs> I have to pedal it with my feet, usually, like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> but anyway, what this letter says to do is that Warehouser's supposed to drive to a very specific crossroads in Rainier Valley, and he's supposed to look for a stake with a white cloth attached to it on the right side of the road. And when he sees that, he gets out to go inspect the stake. So he does this. Goes to the crossroads, finds the stake, and at the stake, he finds a tin can with a note inside that tells him to drive another 700 feet down the road to the second white cloth. Park, keep the engine running. Thank God there's the another on. cloth. I'm like, oh my God. If, I had to, if somebody was like, drive 700 feet or your kid will die, I'm like, well, yep. well it was a good life. Yep. I'm sorry. Sorry, kid. Loved you lots. Have to make another one. Hundred feet. <laughs> okay, yeah. There's there's another stake. I'm sorry. There's another stake. And so he's supposed to when he gets to this other cloth, 700 feet away, parks, leave the engine running, and the lights on. So he does it. There's why they use two stakes, Dev. <laughs> Why'd they use one stake with a tin can to tell him to drive up to the other stake? Why didn't they just let him keep driving another 700 feet? Did he turn? Did was, did, like, he didn't even get out and walk? Listen, this is not the last time you're going to hear about tin cans featuring into their ransom plans. What kind of romper room fuckery? What, what kind of hardy boys, little rascals situation? I'm this close to blaming George for it. You, you know? should. He just wanted to pet the rabbits. Were the tin cans connected with a string so they could listen yeah. to each other? Well, I don't know. 
And neither does poor Mr. Warehouser because he goes to this second can, leaves leaves the engine on, leaves the lights running. There's, yeah. there's, I mean, there's no can. It's just the white flag at the second location. And it's just like, dum-de-doo. Nothing happens for three fucking hours. Fuck, this is the worst scavenger hunt ever. It's such a shitty scavenger hunt. It's the worst greatest race. So finally, <laughs> it's like three hours later and Mr. Warehouser goes... Uh, I, I don't know what to do. So he drives back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. Thursday, so that was Wednesday night, Thursday at 11.30 a.m., Warehouser gets a call at the hotel from a kidnapper asking why he didn't follow the instructions in the second can. And he goes, well, oh, for I, fuck's sake. I didn't, there wasn't one. And they go, yeah, because uh, you guys are bad at communicating. <laughs> They go, we'll have to call you back. (laughs) (laughs) And they call him again at 9 p.m. And they say... Just hang on real quick. (laughs) I gotta gotta check on something. Yeah. They say... BRB. BRB. AFK. (laughs) (laughs) Tilde at sign asterisk. (laughs) However you did a rose with those messages. Yes. BRB. So at 9 p.m., they call back and they say, okay, you're going to drive to an address on Madison Street, and you're going to look for a tin can at this gate. Stop it. That's legit. So Mr. Warehouser. <laughs> Is that what took them so long? They had to eat a whole <laughs> other can of eat, peaches. They needed more <laughs> They're like, we need a bigger can. We need not even like peaches that much. <laughs> we don't have coffee. It's the depression. We have this goddamn chicory. <laughs> it doesn't come in a can. It's awful. Oh, God. <laughs> so poor Warehouser. He goes to Madison Street, finds a tin can with instructions inside that. I'm not bullshitting you. They instruct him to another tin can of this fuck. <laughs> Is this secretly, like, a scrap drive? It must be. you're gonna get, like, some dedicated Girl Scout picking up this much loose tin. So much loose tin. There's no war effort yet, you know, so we're not collecting scrap metal. But he, like... I guess not. He leapfrogs his way through the city from tin can to tin can to tin can to finally a side road where the last tin can apparently instructed him to park the car... Leave it running with the lights on, but this time exit the car (laughs) and start walking back towards Seattle. I'm amazed that after the debacle of the first tin can system, they said what we need (laughs) is, well, I'm not sure if that counts as doing it, but harder, because for all we know, they had 30 tin cans the first time, and just the second one blew away. A raccoon got to the second one and foiled their plants. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> well, you know what they say, a tin can chain is only as strong as its most raccoon-susceptible link. <laughs> I want that stitched on a pillow. Yep. On yeah, I've always stone. said that. You've always said that. <laughs> Old grandpappy Liz. Oh, oh my fuck. god. Do you think as he was going, he's like worried about his son, he's concerned about safety, he's angry at the kidnappers, but he's also going... Really? Really? Well, yeah, you feel like, I know that this is a century before Ashton Kutcher. 
Mm-hmm. But whatever the 1930s version of punk is, don't you feel like that's happening? Like, he, yeah, you're like, is it actually my birthday? It, yeah, Am right? I going to a birthday party? Like, <laughs> right? What did is I, this? Did I forget Mrs. Warehouser's anniversary? And and yeah. she's pissed. This leads to a jewelry store where I have to buy her something, yeah. right? <laughs> this is a you. You put all the tin cans together, <laughs> and it forms a heart. <laughs> it's a heart. It's like, will you go to prom with me? <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> when he maps out his his drive on an old Seattle map, <laughs> it'll say "Gotcha." Oh my god! Okay, poor man. Well, he does it because God bless him. Warehouser just wants his kid back. He follows the instructor's instructions. He follows the instructions to the letter. He gets out of the car. Money's on the front seat in a bag. Lights are on, cars running, and he starts walking back toward Seattle. He gets about a hundred yards from the car when he hears rustling in the underbrush, oh my God. and a man bursts out of the bushes and runs Jesus to the car, Christ. jumps in Jesus it, Christ. and drives away. And Mister Warehouser is forced to walk to the highway and thumb a ride back to Tacoma. Jesus, please us. Was the guy wearing a fucking ghillie suit a ghillie. or like a, a flower hat? Did he have a lampshade on? He was pretending <laughs> to be furniture. He held really still. Held Bust out really of the bushes still. to steal the car. I know. Okay. I know. But it's now. So that was Thursday night. We hear nothing on Friday. But on Saturday at 3.30 a.m., the kidnappers released George on the Issaquah-Hoburg Road, about four miles outside of Issaquah. And they gave him two blankets, and they tucked a dollar bill in his pocket. And they said... (laughs) This is kind of cute. It's kind of sweet, right? And he said, you wait right here in this shack, and your papa's going to come get you. And they drive off. Okay, but what do we know about George, Liz? He's he's a wanderer. He's a wanderer. He's an impatient young man. He's an impatient little shit. So instead of waiting where he's fucking told to wait, he starts walking. I guess he wanted George. to be kidnapped again. Because six miles later, he wanders onto a farm. <laughs> right? George. George. He wanders onto Louis P. Bonifaz's farm. And he tells the family who he is. And thank God, they're great people. Because the missus feeds him breakfasts. Uh, feeds him breakfasts. <laughs> Multiple Two breakfast. of them for strength. <laughs> You're a growing boy, George. <laughs> you walked six miles like the little idiot you are. You've been eating nothing but canned peaches for a nothing week. Nothing but <laughs> <laughs> some peas and some coffee. <laughs> oh, God. Not sardines. They're too small of a can. But she gives him dry clothes. And and Mr. Bonifat, he, he pops little dry, well-fed George into his old Model T Ford. And he drives the kiddo back home toward Tacoma. That would be so tense if you're aware that this is a famously kidnapped child. And you're like, okay, George, just to reiterate. Yeah. If we get pulled over. Yeah. I I was bringing you back. I did not kidnap you. Well. You came to my farm organically. Yeah, exactly. It is an organic farm. Here's the funny thing, Liz. (laughs) They they do get pulled over. Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, this is like this is like when I watched. Did George crawl out the trunk and punch out the tail light and start waving? Yeah, starfish hand back there. This is like when I watched Dogma with you, and every five minutes I called the next ten minutes of plot. Jesus, Jesus. According to the reporter, it's a little muddy here because the reporter tells one story, and then later in life, George says, "I, I don't know if it really happened that way." But what the official account says is that John Dreher, I think you say his last name is, John D. Anyway, he's a sports writer for the Seattle Times. Well, he gets this tip, right, that George has been released near Issaquah and is headed home. I don't know how he got this tip. Don't know where he got this tip. Somebody sucks. Somebody's peaching. But the point is, he gets this tip. And so on a reporter hunch, he hires a taxi and starts driving toward you know, from the Tacoma area toward where George was supposedly seen or released. So they carry people, too, and not just letters? Apparently, taxis will take people on occasion. And he manages to intercept Farmer Bonifa's truck on the Pacific Highway about 18 miles outside of Tacoma. He gets the farmer to pull over and manages to convince the farmer that he's a police officer who's been sent no! No! to pick up George. This is, an, this is God, still kidnapping. <laughs> this still, is still kidnapping. Still also, kidnapping. how would he know what truck? How many people did it, he pull over? How many? How many children did he almost how, steal? How many? He, according to his story, gets the farmer to hand over George. And he... Good God. He gets George to crouch down in the backseat of the taxi while he sits on the floor of the taxi and tells the taxi Mm, driver. Yeah, nothing weird there. Nothing weird there, but a grown man. Super legit. Yep. Crouching in a taxi cab backseat with a young boy that he just. Yeah, the taxi cab driver was like, okay. Yeah, that he just bought off Can you pretend to be a letter, though? Yeah. Yeah. Goodbye. Okay, yeah. What? This is like the taxi driver from any movie where the action star jumps in and is like, follow that car. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to wreck my livelihood for you. (laughs) For you, stranger. I haven't run a credit check or anything. But yeah, they're like, okay, imagine that ask. Did you think he explained the whole kidnapping thing? Or was he just like, we're going to go at a certain point. We're going to see a vehicle. You must intercept the vehicle. I'm going to go. I'm going to come back. There's going to be a nine-year-old child. And we're both crouched in the back of the seat. Don't ask any follow-up <laughs> questions. Do you want a tip or not? It's 1935. I like to think it was just the one taxi driver. Just the whole time. The whole time. <laughs> the same one that they'd encountered every time. And he was just a real, like, Owen Wilson kind of go with the flow dude. Yeah. You know? Matthew yeah. McConaughey of his day. That or I'm gonna I'm gonna yes and into Woody Harrelson, Ugh. but He's seen it all at this point. Okay, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are the same man as far as I'm concerned in my brain. Okay. They're like Sarah Michaels and Tessa someone or other who I knew in second grade and I could not for the life of me tell apart, even though I know in my head they were very different people who looked extremely separate. But if I saw <laughs> one of them, I it was 50-50, which it was as far as I was concerned. Oh, yeah. Th- there's... There's only about, like, 37 different people in the world. Pretty much. And we just keep recreating The Sims with different clothes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So so he's now been re-kidnapped. He's been re-kidnapped. He's been second kidnapped. And, like I said, this is kind of muddy because this is coming from the journalist who wants 
to, I'm sure, come across as a hero to his readership. And in the, he just wants the scoop. He wants the scoop, right? But in in the incident, you know, or in the article he writes after the incident, he said, "quote." Just a kid, but what an experience. What a chapter in his life. I guess I got a little soft as these thoughts went through my mind and this old police reporter said, George, would you give me a kiss? And he did. Hey, now. And we... Mm-mm. I know. Mm-mm. And we talked some more. George, the little cuss, wanted to talk as much as I wanted him to talk. Boy, is he smart. He was just bubbling over. Yeah, he's got some carryover Stockholm syndrome Probably. for you. Yeah, he's fine with any man who stuffs him in the backseat of a car and is like, now, I'm in charge. Yeah. Uh, kiss me a little. Kiss me just just a little. But, I mean, that that sounded like, well, golly gee, Willikers, yeah. like, too sensational for me. And I found a 2016 article by a KUOW reporter who actually, she got in, char- uh, she got in touch with George in 2016. Oh, okay. And at the time he was, I think she said he was 88, 87. Wow. Yeah, spoiler, he doesn't die. Spoiler, <laughs> he doesn't die, guys. Like I said, this is a happy-go-lucky <laughs> at <least> ending. young. <laughs> no, he, I think he lived to be like 99 or something. He lived to be 89. He lived to be very old. Um, That's what I'm saying, yeah. though. Like, he still does die. Oh, yeah. It is yeah. still the only game in town. Yeah, but. the only game in town. But when she talked to George, oh, my notes say he was 89 in 2016. Not bad. Uh, this reporter, she asked George, you know, is this true? And he said, well, I don't want to go into the details of the kidnapping. You know, my family worked really hard to not dwell on it as a family, to not have it negatively mm-hmm. impact me as a kid. You know, it's a sensitive subject, but I got to say, like, I don't remember it that way. I don't think the farmer would have released me to anyone but my family he was a really good guy um george's dad gave the farmer a job at his mill um, you know as as thank you uh later for Mm -hmm. finding him and george says like i was shy i would not have talked and also i would not have kissed a stranger but at the same time george also says like he doesn't want to call this reporter a liar you know he's like well i was nine i was probably in shock a lot of things could have happened. So it sounds like a, yeah. a very nice way of saying, uh, the hell it did, but without, like, really calling out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of like, I am aware, you know, it's it was 80 years ago, so yeah. I'm not as sure that it didn't happen yeah. as I'm sure about what happened this morning, but yeah. I don't remember that, and it doesn't sound like doesn't me. doesn't sound like me is right. So, but the upshot is, regardless, whether it was the farmer or whether it was the reporter, George gets returned to his house like 7 a.m. Saturday, June 1st. He's only been missing. He's past his bedtime. He's past his bedtime. He's all funned out. He needs to go take a nap. But now that he's been returned safely, the FBI can get involved. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, as I said, the law enforcement officers said that they would stand back and stand down until George was returned safely. And now that he's safe, they're able to embark on what the newspapers said was the greatest manhunt in the history of the Northwest. <laughs> wow, okay. For some reason, I kind of forgot for a minute there that there would be more to the story after he was returned. I know. Like, I think in some part of my mind, I was like, well, p- 
deal done. The end. Case closed. Case closed. Like, wait, no. They probably want to follow up on that. It was still a crime. It was still a really big crime. They still have $200,000 that they'd like to have back. Yeah. Um, George was missing for, what is that, like seven days, eight days? Mm-hmm. The, he probably missed the last week of school, so he didn't miss much. He, didn't, he was just on movies. Oh, it was movies, popcorn. I mean, those were the best days, though. Who would want to miss that? I don't know. It depends on what he was doing. I guess. Well, we know he wasn't waiting for the chauffeur. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> it does not take long for the police to find leads. That very same day, Warehouser's black sedan, the one that he made the cash drop with, is found in Seattle's International District, which at the time was Chinatown. Uh, yeah. It has inside the bag that the money was in, as well as an empty tin can. <laughs> For nothing? Just cause? Are they the Riddler? <laughs> That's how you knew it was really theirs, Liz. Really yeah, theirs. This is, this is too on the nose. We need to talk to the writer about this. <laughs> no, right. It's it. a little basic. I think audiences are a little too sophisticated uh, for this. I feel like you're going to look inside the tin can and it's going to be like their photo ID. <laughs> <laughs> Left their driver's license and their mother's yeah. maiden name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rosebud is written in real big letters. Oh, buddy, you are soon to find out how just sweetly, blunderingly, obliviously dumb the kidnappers are. I love it. This is such a spiritual sequel to the it, that, that governor oh, kidnapping. Lieutenant governor oh, is so good. It's just so you kinda you kinda root for the kidnappers in just how blunderingly dumb, wide-eyed they are. I'll tell you about the clues that led to the kidnappers, and then I'll tell you about the kidnappers. Yeah. But so Saturday the car is found. Sunday the second, the first of the twenty dollar bills turns up. Ooh. Days, you know. Wow, they didn't sit on that very long. They did not. This was not a (laughs) D.B. Cooper situation where none of the bills were ever spent. They started spending that money as soon as they fucking got it, my friend. They spent the money. They used a $20 bill to get a train ticket in Oregon, and the station, uh, station ticket agent said that it was purchased by a man who was traveling to Salt Lake City. Then Tuesday, June 4th, another one of the 20s is used to purchase a postal money order in Spokane, Washington. (gasps) Uh Uh-huh. I'm trying to figure out whether 20s would have been small bills back then. Yeah, I don't... Because I feel like when when I was a cashier, if somebody handed me... I mean, any all anybody would hand me is 20s, and it kind of got to be a pain in the ass. Right. Much happier with people at 10s and 5s and 1s. Right, Exactly. Apparently this counted. Maybe that just means no hundreds, no fifties. Maybe that's what small Hmm. bills means. But anyway, they end up spending a lot of these 20s because on Friday, June 7th, 20 of the bills were picked up in various Salt Lake City stores. I guess not all of them were 20s, but... Well, why don't you just start dropping tin cans, guys? (laughs) It's like a Hansel and Gretel. What the fuck kind of... Little Jeffy family circus adventure are you painting? (laughs) They were first-time kidnappers, Liz. Before that, they'd been burglars, and they'd been robbers. But, you know, kidnapping is new to them, and they came to it on kind of a whim, which we'll get to. It's much more complicated than most stealing, because you have to give the thing back. You have to give the thing back, exactly. This is... And they did 
God love them. They gave the mm-hmm. thing back. But I guess it never entered into their heads that these bills could be tracked, you know? Despite the fact that they had done it with the Lindbergh case three years earlier. Despite that fact, I know. Liz, these people are young and they're very dumb. Wow. They're spending a lot of money in Salt Lake City. And... (laughs) <laughs> a real party town, We're as we know. Really into it there. The, yeah, and speaking of parties, they're spent at a Cress, which I don't know what that is, but at a Woolsworth's, which I do know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I forget, Everett. Was it just the lawn <laughs> or the whole chain? But anyway, uh, the cashiers recall it was a young woman who was using the money to purchase groceries and sundries. So. See, that's what I'm thinking about, is is it because they're using 20s? Like, mm-hmm. it's standing out. Like, if somebody handed you a $50 bill today, you'd be like, that's slightly weird. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I yeah. I don't know. Because they, they, don't, they don't actually catch her with because of a 20. What happens is the FBI has every... Uh, the FBI has a Salt Lake City police officer placed in every cashier cage of every downtown Salt Lake City variety store there is to screen serial numbers on bills all fucking day. Wow. Yeah. And it's Sunday, June 8th, when two officers, a detective and a patrolman, check a $5 bill, serial matches, and the woman who used it is still there. And not noticing the guys with the big list yeah. and the nice suits. Going back and forth between numbers. Yeah. I don't know. Oh but it's a new thing that we have at the store. It's, it's a new, new service Yeah, it's great. We just want to make sure that these are all legal age dollars, I guess. Something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. want to make sure this, you know, you say it's a $5 bill. I want to make sure it's not actually a 6 I might owe you some change yeah. here. Um, but the point is they get this woman, they find another numbers matching ransom bill in her purse and go, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to take you downtown for questioning. She gives them the name Margaret Von Metz has a bunch of conflicting stories, but they finally get an address out of her. They say that she's living at a house in Salt Lake city, gives them the address and they send some officers there to stake it out. And it's not too long before a man comes home with the name Metz tattooed across the back of his hand. Sir. Sir. If you are pursuing a life of crime and you might ever want to conceal your identity, why would you stamp yourself like you are your own toy? You are your own branded toy. It says Tonka right on the side of the truck. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking like Andy like, on oh, the bottom yes. of Woody's boot. Yes. You know? Perfect. That <laughs> that's, works too. That's me, and I'm mine. And I'm mine. I belong to. He's got a heart. See again. This is lazy writing. This is really lazy writing that he has Mets written on him. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that the fake name she gave him incorporated a real name. Her, his last name. Sorry, specifically the real name he had tattooed on him. Specifically the not any name. other real name affiliated with the gang. No, no, no. But that specific one. No, that specific one. It turns out his name is Harmon Metz Whaley, twenty-four years of age. She is his wife, 
Margaret Eldora Thulin, age 19. Ooh, Eldora? Eldora. I kind of like that name. I like it. Yeah. But Margaret Von Metz is not Margaret Von Metz. She's married to a guy named Metz. And even though they both deny they had any knowledge of the kidnapping, they find some more ransom-marked bills in Harmon's pocket, and then $3,700 of partially burned bills in the stove <gasps> of their house. Numbers matching. What? Yep. Oh my god. And it does not take too long for Harmon and Margaret to confess. Right, because theoretically, if these bills are in circulation, anybody could end up with one of them. Anyone. By honest means. Exactly. But the part where also you lie, and also your husband or whatever has them, and also, why is it in the stove? Why are you burning it? Why are you so bad at crime? Why are you so bad at crime? But you didn't finish burning it? Well, Liz, they're not the brains of the operation. The brains. Oh, good. <laughs> it took three people to come up with this plan? It did. It did. Was one of them just hitting a bucket with a stick over and over so nobody could think? <laughs> Jesus. Well, he's the one with experience, Liz. This is William Daynard, who was nice. was serving a time in Idaho State Penitentiary for bank How robbery. Yes, he was. <laughs> when he met. When he met. <laughs> Harmon Metz, and they they became buddies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Harmon gets out. You know, he's only in for six months for vagrancy charges, and drifts his way down to Salt Lake City. Meets Margaret, marries her a week after knowing her, and the two Goodness. they drift around the country for two years, living on what he can burgle or rob. Wow! It is. Like, fucking serendipitous that they managed to get back in Salt Lake City right about the time William Daynard is back in Salt Lake City. And the two men run into each other. And they go, you know what? Let's let's all go to Spokane and see what kind of trouble we can get into. Who hasn't said that? Who right? hasn't said that, right? That's our new motto. It's not near nature, near purpose. It is not. Or no, whatever. No. Let's go to Spokane and see what trouble we can get into. Yep. It's April 1935 when the trio get to Spokane and they rent a house that's still standing today. Wait, I thought all this was happening in... Yes. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm we, caught yes. up now. Yep. There were a couple years. <laughs> we're going back in time. This is a flashback. Yep. Flashback. Yep. Sorry. It's... It, yeah. April 1935... When they read, well, Margaret reads, see, she's 19. She's not the brains of the operation, but she does come up with this ingenious spark. When she reads in the papers that J.P. Warehouse died, and he has a whole big family and a whole lot of money, she goes to her men and she says, you know, kidnapping's a thing people do now with ransom attached. Let's go see if we could kidnap one of the warehousers. The men say uh-huh. the men say okay. And they Pussy game too strong. <laughs> <laughs> no pussy good enough. But apparently it is, because the three idiots drive to Tacoma. And uh-huh. the idea is they're gonna stake out 
the Warehouser family. They're just going to see. Is You know, what are their Why habits? Why not kidnap somebody where you live? There's plenty of millionaires around Spokane. No, they're all riding hell trolley. They're getting Wolverine cubs. And I mean, they're easy enough to kidnap. <laughs> We've seen it. <laughs> We've seen it. But no, they're spicing it up. They're making sure they... they unite, they're making sure they unite the east and the west sides of the state. So let them have their fun in Tacoma, Liz. They go, they stake it out. They're only watching the Weyerhaeuser family's movements for a few days when the two men, William, the brains, you know, the one that Mm, was mm -hmm. in the pen for a long time, and, and the guy who wrote and, his own name on himself so he'd remember how to spell it. <laughs> Harmon, the man who wrote his own name like so much underwear at summer camp, <laughs> are standing beside their Buick when who the fuck blunders off of a path by a tennis court but nine-year-old fucking George fucking Warehouser. <laughs> God. See, I was a little suspicious of the fact that he went home early. Yeah. I was like, did somebody send him home early? No. Or what's going on? Like, why was he out of his normal routine? But no. No. Saren fucking Bl- did Absolute, bitty. yeah, absolute random chance and luck. Okay. Total blind luck. He blunders into, literally blunders into him on his shortcut home. And the kidnappers both kind of look at each other and go, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, God. Grab him, toss him into the car cover him with a blanket and speed off. Well, they hadn't they hadn't planned this. Margaret is at an apartment that they've rented in Tacoma. She's not a part of this. She doesn't know George has been kidnapped by the men. The men don't. So there was no plan. There was no plan. They were They were in the pre-planning part. Pre-planning party. reconnaissance is this even doable? When, wow. you know, the fish like walked out of the ocean and jumped on yeah. the barbecue and said, "Please." <laughs> A dash of lemon, would you? Damn. They don't know what to do with him, so they drive him to the woods, find a hole in the ground, stick the kid in the hole in a hole in the ground, cover it with some wood, and take turns guarding him while now all three kidnappers figure out what to do with him. I mean, that would be scary for him. I do feel bad I feel, about I that. I part. feel really bad. That would be freaky. And they, they shackle his legs. Um, he's blindfolded up until this point. He's not in that hole for very long. Don't worry, Liz, because they soon decide that this isn't a good decision. And what they need is a bigger hole. So they pull little George out of the hole, put him back in the car, <sighs> drive to a new location. George hangs out with them while they dig a bigger hole. You see, they, they need a bigger hole because then they take one of the back seats out of the car to stick in the hole with George so he has something nice to sit on. That was why they moved him? <laughs> Give him a couple his, more blankets. His physical... <laughs> can I have a glass of water? Cover him with Can you fluff wood. my pillow? It's not the only place they take him. Liz, they take him... He goes, he goes to Spokane for a bit. In the, like, seven effing days that he's missing... He's in two holes. He's in, they take him back to that house in Spokane where he hangs out in the closet for a while. Yes, he turns to them and he says, let's go to Spokane and see what kind of trouble we can get into. see what kind of trouble we can get into. He goes through Idaho. I mean, like, there's a shack. There's the shack in Issaquah. Like, they take this kid to hell and back, just kind of going, I I, I don't know. Well, we go, shit. I've... 
I'm just doing the 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 open handed gesture of what? Yeah, yeah. But what? Uh, what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bruh. God looks I after guess. fools and children, man. And wow, this group is made entirely of both sets. Yeah how how many days in do you think they started asking George for his input and insight <laughs> on stuff? You're right. They were like, you you went to school. You're still in school. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you got some thoughts up in that head. You're ten years younger than us. What's your take? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Want to join a gang? What's, yeah, you want you want, you want to join a gang? I don't know. Warehouser's pretty long to get tattooed on you. That might be a lot. <laughs> yep. Just get the umlauts. Just get the two dots. Damn, dude. Well, so... They they confess. I mean, they totally totally belly up Peach, Margaret, and Harmon. Just tell the whole story. They you know talk about William's involvement. Um, William Daynard has not been caught at this point. He hasn't been apprehended. He manages to elude police for almost a year. He gets wind that Margaret and Harmon have been taken into custody. And he manages to skip the Tacoma area, skip Washington. He goes to Idaho. He goes to Montana. He's down in California. He eludes them until May of 1936 Hmm. when he's caught in Los Angeles because he's using those goddamned marked bills. Wow. See, I feel like... This would be the situation where you just want to unload all of them as soon as possible, (laughs) right? One boat. You purchase one large aircraft. Yeah, and then resell it to somebody else or even just figure out somebody who will trade you the bills. Because this guy is, what kind of Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb trail are these guys doing more than a year after the kidnapping? Well, Daynard's a little smarter than Harmon and Margaret, because he thinks like you. He's thinking, no, this is a breadcrumb trail. I don't like this. You know, what I need is someone to launder this money. I got to give in my tainted 20 and get a nice clean 20. No snatches associated with this 20. (laughs) We'll be fine. And, And that's where the connection to your little sleepy time bandits occurs yes it does yes it does because <laughs> they that's who they met in penitentiary too that's amazing did you know that like all criminals apparently know each other and one man that william daynard met was a guy named edward fliss aka frank mm-hmm. red lane and he goes by red because yeah. he's giant with red hair Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Well, Frank Red Lane is caught February 1936 laundering some money for William at a bank in Seattle. Well, he's he's not caught right then. A man, a giant with red hair, comes in and says, I've got $300. Change it for me into different bills. And the teller gets (laughs) suspicious. Well, yeah. (laughs) And when he goes to check the serial numbers, Red freaks out and, like, up in R-U-N-N-O-F-T's. Oh, wow. you know, they identify him and eventually kidnap, and eventually arrest him. And, of course, he was in Idaho State Penitentiary for the kidnapping of Governor William Baker Kinney in 1929 when he met William Daynard. 
I mean, it's not just that we're in that reference groove. This sounds like a Coen Brothers film. It does. Like, this specifically, I think, is Raising Arizona. Right? Right? (laughs) It's it's partly that. It's part... Yeah. I'm absolutely there with you. Yeah. Uh, Goodness. Okay. So, we've got all four people involved are caught. Uh, One... uh, Sorry. 160,000 of the original 200,000 is recovered by police. Um, Margaret goes to trial. She pleads not guilty, but is found guilty and receives 20 years. Uh, Harmon and William both plead guilty. William received 60 years because he was considered the mastermind. And Harmon only got 45 uh, Fliss is charged with conspiracy. <laughs> It'll only be 81. <laughs> I'll only be 82. <laughs> yep. The, uh, Fliss, I guess, you know, he gets charged with conspiracy, uh, with being an accessory. He's able to prove that, like, he didn't have anything to do with the kidnapping because he was in fucking jail at the time. Yeah. But when the prosecutor brings up his past crimes adding that like yeah. he's been a part of kidnapping before what red high profile kidnapping. high profile kidnapping what red says is uh the kidnapping of the lieutenant governor was not a real kidnapping we just forced the man to ride with us for a couple of hours and when they found out who he was we let him go there was no ransom money involved that's his You're defense. technically correct, sir. The, the best kind of correct. <laughs> the ju- what? How? Okay. It wasn't a real okay. kidnapping. You just had to ride Mister, him. Mr. Red-haired man. You're just out of jail. Mm-hmm. You're, sorry, you're just out of prison. Uh-huh. You're on trial for another crime. Uh-huh. Is now the time to explain to the judge, <laughs> a judge who's a judge of you, that they misunderstood the law. <laughs> it's not the time. It's not the time. It's not no. so much. He's, he might have one of those Andalana gavels, those, too. Exactly. And then really fucked. screwed, dude. It's heavy shit. Yeah, the judge gives him ten years. He's just like, yeah. I'm done with your bullshit. Isn't that like what he got the first time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, he had 11 to 25, and he served five. Okay, wow, which is exciting when you got out early. Oh, he got a pardon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, why did he get a pardon? Wait, William, uh, William, what the fuck? What's his last name? Daynard? Daynard, thank you. William Daynard was also pardoned by the governor of Idaho for his, for part of his 20-year sentence, and nobody knows why. What the fuck was that guy doing? Just pardoning everyone. Charles Ben Ross. That's too many first names, and I don't trust it. I don't trust it at all. Too many first names. So we are on to quite the conspiracy here, where there's a lieutenant governor getting kidnapped, and then there's a governor pardoning his kidnappers. Mm -hmm. I think that we should pull this sweat. I think we should pull this thread. See how much of the... Yeah, I don't need a very long piece of yarn on my conspiracy wall for those. No, you don't. You don't. It... (laughs) They can overlap. (laughs) I told you that it was a comedy of errors with a happy ending, and you might think that the happy ending was that George was returned to his family, lived a long, successful life, went on to manage and then be the owner of his company, and all that is true, 
But I think that there's actually a really sweet part of this story that makes it even better, which is while he was in prison, Harmon wrote to the Weyerhaeuser family several times profusely apologizing for the crime. Oh, wow. And when he was released in 1963, uh, that's 28 years of his 45-year sentence served, George, who was a manager at Weyerhaeuser, gave him a job. My heart! I know. know. Oh, it's growing two sizes Uh, today. Two sizes today. In that 2016 interview, the reporter asked George why he hired Harmon, and George said, remember, he was young. He did me no harm, and he was only in his 20s. Wow. Also, we've had this kind of time thing happened yeah. before this time slip yeah where like you know ada blackjack's doing a star wars puzzle yeah, but right? the idea that somebody in the 30s gets a sentence like i understand the math mm-hmm. that then he would be released in the 60s but it's still it's mind-blowing i'm like the world's in color the now world's in color. what are you gonna do it's like watching the shawshank redemption and brooks is yeah. released and he's like i don't know what a car is and all of a sudden there's cars everywhere no kidding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. That's, he gave him a job. Gave him a job. That. I know that I said that Erica D was the one that posted this in Spokane History Buffs, which is why I read it. But then we've also got this strange tie to your episode 21, which is the missing politicians, I think. The vanished politicians. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, of course, Nostalgia Magazine who were involved with had an article on this. And also our boy, Timothy Egan apparently talks about the family in breaking blue. So seriously, yeah, this story is so completely woven into the fabric of Ouija broads. I cannot fucking believe that it is 102 episodes and it's the first time I've heard about this. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find out when George's birthday was because I need to know his star sign, Ooh. because if he's a Scorpio, then hiring that guy for a job was actually a very deep and complex form of revenge. <laughs> it was a deep fuck you. Is that yeah. right? Um, well, let's see. That's what I would do. I, I, God bless you. Uh, It's the same principle such that my neighbor gave me a passive-aggressive note about parking too close to the front of her house, which that's not how streets work. It's not your stuff. And any time she parks in front of my house and encounters me, I am so sweet about it. Of course. (laughs) Don't worry. No, it would never be an issue. Of course. No, I understand. Of course, I understand. And then I feel so good. Oh, my goodness. I love you. There is nothing better than being gracious to someone about something they were petty toward you about. Yes. Being gracious to someone who was a total fucking dick. Doesn't it feel good? Yes. I, as a Pisces, feel real bad about that, but also, I don't know, makes me happy. Yeah. I can't okay, find... So. I found his obituary, finally. Hmm. Um, but it doesn't say, like, when he was born. Why don't they do that? They should always have to say when this person was born. 
Yeah, I should always be in parentheses afterwards. Yeah. Helpfully. Exactly. Okay. Well, anyway, okay. Uh, let's get back on topic. On top. Well, that's, I mean, that's the end of it. But- okay, so so when are you going to explain the cans? <laughs> <laughs> Liz, what's there to explain? That's, I just, that's, that's oh. the method of, they were out of envelopes. You know? They were very early geocachers. That's, that's why they had to use taxi cabs to deliver all their letters. They were out of envelopes. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to use tin cans. The passenger pigeon okay. was extinct at this time. Okay. I don't know, bud. I don't know. I don't know if they were convenient, if they were easy, if they were so much detritus that people wouldn't, you know, stop to pick it up, right? If they found this tin can by a white flag mm-hmm. marker on a side road or what? Wow. I've got nothing for you on tin can front. Well, okay, so George was riding around, but and they were just, like, taking pretty good care of him? Yeah, apparently they, yeah, weren't, uh, I don't, he didn't talk about it much, and the family didn't talk about it, but there's nothing to indicate that they mistreated him, other than kidnapping him and shackling him and putting him in a hole in the ground. Yeah, and that's not so much, like, a, a scare tactic as it's just like when you give a dog something it's not going to eat right away and it like digs something down it digs down exactly it's kind of like well we're kind of dumb and now we're gonna go make like a lord of the flies boy fort out in the woods with this kid yeah wow this story truly has it all doesn't it just yeah everything you could ever want plus some tin cans scavenger hunt kidnapping Foolish bandits. Money. Money. A romance. Yeah. Hijinks. People jumping out of bushes. The the crook with a heart of gold. And then the happy ending many years in the future. Mm-hmm. The end. Wow. When I was looking into this story, I did remember glancing at a spokesman article where the house that he was in still stands. It does. And... And do you, did you remember, is this one you read where when they went and looked in the closet where he stayed, what they found? What did they find in the closet? No. A box of warehouser paper. For real? Uh-huh. Weird. <laughs> no, that's yeah. too many coincidences. That's weird. Okay. I mean, I suppose, it. you know, it's local and... Yeah. Prevalent. I mean, they're one of the biggest private landowners of... The world. Yeah, like, you know, imagine if during the, the Coors kidnapping, and then they go back, like, 70 years later, and the person has Coors. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, every, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody did. Yeah. Wow, that is a good one. Thank you for doing that. You're very welcome. Thank you for letting me tell you the story of the the Sleepy Time Bandits cousins, the Tin yeah. Cants. <laughs> that's, solid. that's solid that's good there you go. wow wow yeah all right dude you want me to take it out of here i'm getting hot in this room yeah i'm basically just thinking through like a single accident at so many points in this could have had such a bad outcome right like like when they kidnapped William Kinney, they crashed the car. So like, imagine right. if they crashed the car with George oh, yeah. in the trunk at yeah. any point, yeah. or you know, anybody gets intercepted at the wrong time. Oh man! Yeah. 
by the grace of God. Like I said, God looks after fools and children, and this story had nothing but the two. Yeah. It just this is worked serious out. Serious babies day out. <laughs> Shit. It was absolutely like God. Did you have good dog Carl as your guardian angel, George? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. It when we make the movie, I feel like there should be a dog for sure. Oh, there's gotta be a dog. There's gotta yeah. be a dog. I don't know. I don't want to watch a movie without a dog, but it can't be too much dog. It can't be like Marley and me levels of dog. It can't be like, I, I don't want to tug at the heartstrings because of the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It'll be a tough needle to thread because actors don't like to work with kids and animals, but oh, yeah. we'll see it. We'll, we'll just, we'll send it to the, the guys and see what they come up exactly. with. Exactly. I'm sure the Coen brothers will come up with something. I know that I mentioned Spokane History Buffs as a location to find really interesting Spokane history, and I think if you're at all interested in even just Washington history or Pacific Northwest history, it's totally worth Mm -hmm. a join. Those folks are smart, and they they come up with cool stuff. But since you're on Facebook already, I think you should go over to the Ouija Broads page and make sure that you've liked us, that you've rated us. And that you're engaging with us in the comments. That's how we get a lot of really good information. And it's how we are able to actually talk with people about these episodes after, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. And if I can add a third point to kind of the triangle of like, there's the history buffs, there's our Facebook, Mm nostalgiamagazine.net. Like a ton of overlap with the people who write for the magazine and post there, including our Mm -hmm. our stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, consider checking that out as well, because it'll it's it's nice to kind of support this sort of local work and we like to keep the good print media around. Absolutely. Absolutely. While you are doing the social media thing, check us out, of course, on Instagram and on Twitter. Go to our website, weechbrods.com. As Liz mentioned in the beginning of the episode, patron, folks, is what keeps our lights on. And especially as we're starting to have to, I think, dive a little bit deeper. We've picked up a lot of the stories that are on the surface with stuff that's easy to access to keep Mm -hmm. mining, you know... Five bucks as a patron really helps us get some of the books from aunties or access periodicals online that are behind paywalls that Mm -hmm. we need to get some of these deeper stories. And we love every single one of you that's donated. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. For for your donations. What else am I missing, Liz? I got kind of off my... I got off my ramble there. We want to make sure that you are rating, reviewing, and subscribing, whether it's on iTunes, Podbean, or the podcatcher of your choice, because, of course, those always help other people to find us, which is super important because we want to find as many weirdos as we possibly can. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Liz, what else do we want to do? Well, just me or everybody? Everybody, I guess. I think they better live weird. Well, then I think they, well, one day when it's time, better die weird. When you're ready and at all points, please stay weird. Stay weird. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 